Hello, and welcome to Stories Read by and Written by Philip Alisha. If you'd like to read along to these stories, then you can find a link to that in the description of this video. As always, remember to like, share, and subscribe. This is the new set. For several days now, Conrad had been thinking about numerous small problems. Alice said she could tell when he was thinking, and he believed her. Why else would he once have been embarrassed about it? When Conrad was deep in thought, he had the far-off eyes of a man surveying his domain, and felt like a free-floating intellect that had no need for a body. His eyes forced him to be honest. Any attempt to lie showed how dear this secret in question was to him. To pull him back down to earth, you had to get his attention by a touch on the shoulder or some other appeal to his senses. There was a time, early into their marriage, when he tried to get around that. She asked him what was on his mind. If he lied and said it was nothing, she knew it. If he lied and said it was something other than what it was, she knew that too. Frustrated and intrigued, he had watched himself in the bathroom mirror for a telltale sign, a shiftiness in his eyes or some tension in his face that gave him away. He saw Alice coming up behind him, visibly confused at the faces he made. Not bothering to turn around, he told her reflection what he was doing. That wasn't how she knew. It's a look you have. She searched for the right word, rather than try to imitate him and risk being insulting. Distant. What am I supposed to do, he wanted to know. You don't have to do anything, she said. You don't have to hide it. In hindsight, his experiment was silly. She was right. What did he have to hide? When she asked him now, he stumbled over his words like an adult professor, trying to get his bearings. Once he had them, he did his best to catch her up on his train of thought. Conrad's round, cherubic face had suffered with age. He applied as many creams as Alice did, which spared him for most of the usual signs, and kept his skin smooth. His shine and color were gone. He wondered if this was due to stress or the sun. Had the creams worked? His face was pale like the rest of him. His hair had a natural part where it had stopped growing. He worked the rest over with a comb every morning to simulate it. Alice said that strengthened the roots. Even the green of his eyes was dimmer. Though he was careful not to strain them with too much reading, he knew they wouldn't get better. The best he could hope for was to slow the decline. Alice's curls weren't, uh, weren't as yellow as she remembered. She was thinking back to when she first married Conrad, an impossible standard for her to meet. Undaunted, she dyed her hair as often as necessary. Conrad thought about fixing his eyes with colored contact lenses. Color and vision done in one go. No, no, no. That would look freakish. With Alice, everything looked natural, including what wasn't. Going over himself more closely in the mirror didn't help his jealousy. What else could he do? A question like this, whether it came from him or from someone else, would catch him unaware. He'd gnaw on it uh, more for the pleasure of having something to play with than any answer he might find. Something he had stared off into space to contemplate was a candle whose flame was blue at the bottom and invisible at the very bottom. The answer, whatever it was, wouldn't help him, not in the least. Not to pay his bills and not to start a fire. He didn't mind that his thoughts were useless. 
When he was bored and had nothing to keep him occupied, not even that, he drummed his fingers on his leg or on some other surface. Depending on how well he'd slept and how draining his day had been so far, he'd stop in ten seconds, give or take another ten. Wasn't wondering a better use of his time? These problems were his most cherished playthings. He liked questions that would last, which for his purposes meant that they had no easy answers. Sometimes part of solving a problem was to put it in the form of a question, and so to find a goal for him to strive towards, beginning with general hows and whys, and then narrowing it down further and further, until the answer practically presented itself to him. Not all of his questions had answers. Not all of the answers he found were satisfying. Well, he couldn't know that until he tried. Trivia, long lists of kings, the fates of each of Henry VIII's wives, the names of presidential dogs, in short, the sort of facts you find on museum plaques and in overstuffed biographies, that sort of thing was fine. Fine, but once you knew it, the only thing left for you to do was to memorize and then recite it to impress your friends and embarrass yourself. He wanted to work on his own problems and not those of others. This was a hobby he pursued alone in every sense of the word. He and Alice had a good time watching quiz shows together, he sitting in his chair, slouching slightly. She spread across the full length of their sofa, her head propped up on a pillow. They groaned at the contestant's stupidity and shouted at the, at the screen when someone gave a wrong answer, as if anyone but their neighbors could hear them. Take the money and run. Get out, Alice yelled when a woman decided to risk it all for half a million. Alice didn't know the answer, and so she believed nobody else would. The woman won, and only then did she back out. Alice seemed to forget what she had said and kept watching with the same confidence in herself as before. These TV evenings provided Conrad with a steady supply of new topics to research, more grist for the mill, which he turned into things to think about. Conrad's parents had indulged his curiosity, much to the annoyance of their own parents, of whom two, his father's mother and his mother's father, survived long enough to see Conrad outgrow his hospital swaddling cloth and the baby clothes that followed. When he was younger, Conrad thought the two of them had married each other to form a complete set. They clarified the matter every time they came to visit, which was generally the most memorable part of it, how easily they took offense to his mistaken memory. Had the reminders not been so frequent, he would have forgotten them like he did so much else about their visits, of which one in particular stood out in his mind. He remembered it vividly, which made him question its accuracy. He had no way of checking it against some other record of the event. He had to accept it, doubts and all. His grandparents bought cakes so they'd have something to do while they talked. Two ways to work our mouths, his grandmother joked. His grandfather, having heard this joke as recently as yesterday, and as far back as their honeymoon, smiled because the words were familiar. Conrad examined the tablecloth between bites, lifting it up to his eyes and ducking his head down to it, looking for as long as it took him to swallow the, his newest mouthful of cake. The label had instructions for how to wash it and said where it was made, but not how. He asked the room at large, Did someone sew the whole thing by hand? Did they, meaning the owners of the factories that made tablecloths, have machines for that? Oh, who cares about that? His grandmother snapped, as she did whenever Conrad put forth a question she didn't want the answer to. He shrank back in his chair, 
not sure what he had done wrong. Asking would only enrage her more. They're cute until they aren't, she said. What hurt him most of all was how unexpected the insult was. Agitated, he knocked over his glass and made a puddle on the tablecloth. He took his napkin and cleaned up his mess. I didn't mean to, he said. His apology came immediately, as it always did when he recognized he was in the wrong. What was unusual, however, was the way his fear of being thought badly behaved made him speak louder than the weakness his grandmother had shouted him into. His mother forgave him. Everything was all right. No harm done. Had he spilled something that could leave a stain, not water, she would have still said that, then covered the spot up with a napkin so the sight of it wouldn't bother him. When the meal was over, he'd help clear the table and wash the tablecloth without being asked. H. had kept his parents and his new set of grandparents separate, most obviously in their looks. To Conrad, they were all old, though only his grandparents were very old. His parents defended him. His grandparents treated them like know-nothing children and demanded they be harsher with him. His grandfather complained how soft his father was with him and what would have happened to Conrad if he'd been his son instead. He made threats he didn't have it in him to, care to deliver and told them of times his own father had said the same things, mercifully leaving out the exact details of his punishments. Really, he said, as if it were his own problem to fix. Really, it's unbelievable what you let him get away with. He complained so much that he overworked his favorite phrases and had to use substitutes until they recovered. If it wasn't really unbelievable, then it was truly awful or seriously concerning. It was a wonder his tongue didn't go limp. Conrad hoped it would. Wanting to go, but not unsure whether he would be forced to stay, Conrad cleared the table <coughs> to make himself useful and to remove himself, if only a little, from what was going on. He took the plates of everyone who had finished eating. His grandfather was halfway through his first piece of cake. I don't want another, he said. I'll hurry up and get done soon. Conrad's mother saw what he was doing. Put them in the dishwasher, she said. He washed my hands so it would take longer. The argument at the table continued. To him, it was just noise. Some of the cake crumbs fell into the sink as he tilted the plates over it. Some went with the water he let wash over them. The most stubborn of them had to be scrubbed off with the firm side of a sponge. He washed the silverware and dried it and the plates with a kitchen towel, like he was polishing real silver instead of steel and porcelain. His parents and grandparents reached a point where they weren't willing to argue any more. His grandfather didn't move when Conrad took his plate. He didn't even whine that Conrad had forgotten to take it before washing the other dishes. The tension that hung about them was what, what they left unsaid. When he had cleaned that last plate, he put, it, he put it and everything else back where they belonged. With his work done, Conrad returned to his seat and stayed there until his parents said he could go. His grandparents, Conrad realized, had looked worse then than he did now, and there wasn't more than a few decades between them. He thought of their spotty skin with dark, discolored patches and took comfort in the memory, feeling that the comparison satisfied some notion of revenge, though he'd, though he'd had nothing to do with it. This was one thing off his mind, the heaviest of the bunch by far. Conrad had told Alice about the incident twice. The first time they talked, he hesitated to add detail and summed it up in one sentence. 
my granddad almost hit me over a tablecloth. The second time around, he recounted absolutely everything that he remembered about it, what he knew was relevant and what he knew wasn't, in the hopes that a thorough going over would mean not having to revisit the subject a third time. Alice sympathized by nodding her head, encouraging him with soft grunts and words like, yeah, and right. He had been braver at school, where his thinking got him, among other things, a reputation for being absent-minded, though he didn't forget much more than his classmates. He imagined remarks for people that somewhat, someone must know, though he didn't, about someone who tried to tried their best to remain neutral. If you stabbed him, he'd say that he could, he could see both sides of the knife. The others ran along the same lines. Conrad looked for people whose faults fit his descriptions, if only in the least degree, so he could use what he had refined over many silent hours. He made some enemies that way, of whom a few retaliated with their own insults. Fewer still threw punches, none of which knocked out anything important, teeth or eyes or, or what have you. Conrad kept out of fights as a rule, even those he started. The damage he did was more emotional than physical. The other kids laughed for a moment at whoever Conrad singled out, but they didn't become friends, something he never expected to happen. He had done well on his own. Of course he had. He'd never depended on them as anything but an audience, and a fickle one at that. Conrad counted his blessings and accomplishments. He was reasonably happy. He had no worries than his friends, and because these judgments were are largely relative, Conrad found that he could call it good enough. He began preparing for his parents' visit, vacuuming the floors, dusting the furniture, wiping down the bathroom, sink and all, doing the chores he did normally, but to which he paid more attention when awaiting guests, especially his parents. They'd wanted to come tomorrow at noon. He and Alice started making lunch an hour after the day's breakfast, after the next day's breakfast. His parents were punctual, to some people irritatingly so, but not to him. The doorbell rang. He let them in. He could hear his father come up the two flights of stairs to their apartment. First one foot, then the other. One, two, one, two. A high-pitched creaking accompanied his heavy footfalls, both of which hit, hit his mother's steps. There we are, his father said as they came in, his big pink face grinning broadly. His mother smiled more with her eyes than with her mouth. Conrad hugged them both, his arms around their necks. Time had made his father soft. Conrad noticed he had a hunch. He tried not to think about it. It repulsed him to evaluate his own father this way, and doubly so, to know that he, he was doing worse than Conrad thought. They hadn't spoken in so long that his father had outgrown Conrad's memory of him. His mother was thinner than he remembered. Lunch went well. There were plenty of leftovers because of his mother's small stomach and his father's vow to get his weight in check. They became livelier after they had eaten. His parents were traveling the world. And I've earned it, haven't I, his father said, smiling, after getting myself stuck with a wife and kid. He knew it wasn't so and knew that they knew it too. Their last trip was trout fishing in Canada. Alice asked if they, ca if they caught anything. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, his father told her, giddy about what was to come. He, he, rested on it, he rested his weight on his chair by way of his seat and on the table by way of his arms. They had heard about the great trout on Ontario. 
We tried it in some restaurant, his mother said, seizing on the silence between his sentences to say her piece. I don't know the name, but I'd remember the food any time. Wasn't it good? Her husband said it was. Had been, he corrected himself. Too little for the price. He tried to recall what they'd paid, couldn't, and hurried on with his story. We got the idea to catch our own trap. It's a fishing town, so we rented fishing rods from a shop nearby. I tell the guy we want to use them for an hour at most. He says that's what he's there for. We pay him, he thanks us for our business. We see a place that looks good, and just as we're untangling our lines, some bored game warden comes over. What are you doing, he asks. His father threw himself back in his chair, laughing low and going higher and higher until his voice was almost girlish. The joke was the warden's mean stare and Dobie all-green uniform. So I'm wondering, should I own up to it like a sorry kid? I should have said, what does it look like? No, you shouldn't have, his mother said. And that's why I didn't, he replied, glancing at her. I saw it in your eyes. Anyway, I let him tell me when uh, trout season was, as if I didn't know. I wasn't playing stupid. It just wasn't on my mind then. He loved making these distinctions, loved prying words apart to show people differences only he and other cranks like him understood. So the warden glares at me and tells me when trout season is and when the other seasons are. I forgot those. I only care about the one. Conrad felt a smile coming on. He'd missed them and hadn't known it till now. All right, the warden says. What would he book me for? Attempted fish murder? Animal abuse, maybe. Whatever, he would have found something. I'd go along with it if he took the guy who gave us the rods, too. I tried to get a refund when it was over. I said we didn't use them. He said it didn't matter. The warden was nicer. He gave me a good dressing down, and your mother got nothing. It was too perfect a story for Conrad to believe. <clears throat> what the hell, he thought. Why not? Stranger things had happened to others, if not to his parents. He was amused by his father's indifference to the law, something his father had always felt, though not acted upon as he was raising Conrad, so that his son wouldn't get the wrong ideas about how to behave. Conrad filled in the details his father left out. He saw him by a brook, his body stuffed into a parka and pants, underneath which he wore a shirt and long underwear. Mittens and earmuffs, too, to complete the picture. For his mother, the same outfit in her size. How much did I get right, he asked. More than I thought you would, his mother said, amazed at his guess, her hands at her ears to show the f how the flaps of her earmuffs had moved in the wind. If you're ever up there, and the wind winters get plenty bad here, too, it's not the cold that does it, it's the wind. You sound like those people who say it's not the heat, it's the humidity. It is. But what am I going to do about that? When there's wind, stay out of the way. And how do you do that with humidity? Well, get an air conditioner. Conrad chuckled like he had as a child when poking holes in her advice. He proposed they go for a walk, opening a window and lifting the shades to let the wind and sun come in and make his point for him. Better than Canada, he said. With Alice on his side, the two of them tipped the scales in their favor, though they were equal in number to his parents, who let their son take the lead. It'll be good to get out of the house, his mother said. Should we go around the block? Sure, he said. He had gone less than ten steps down the street 
when he had when he heard his mother plead for him not to go so fast. Her weak voice was strained from shouting, and yet quiet because of the dis because of the distance between them. His father was closer to him, but still behind. Conrad stopped, turned to look at his parents, and when they caught up, resumed walking at a pace they could match. It hurt him it hurt him to see them struggle. Conrad drilled them with questions about Canada. Alice had nothing to say and was happy to listen. Bit by bit, his father listed what he had discovered on his travels. Canadian dollars, some foods he couldn't name, how small Canada really was when you focused on where people lived and not the rest of the country. The accent was funny, like what you heard in, up, in the upper Midwest. A room was rum. He couldn't describe it better than that, except by talking like them. Sorry about that. There's been a price hike. That's what the waiters said when we complained. Besides that, they're a lot like us. Where are you going next? Alice asked. His father was slow to react. Conrad re repeated the question. His father looked at him as if Alice weren't there. Your mother and I were thinking about Mexico and then Latin America. Maybe Brazil. We've got places in mind and we're open to what comes along. We'll go home to rest and to repack our suitcases first. Shouldn't you stop rushing around now that you're retired? I'm not rushing anywhere. I'm making up for lost time. Can I ask why Mexico? Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's somewhere we haven't been. You'll get more for your money, Conrad said. While he continued to hold up his end of the conversation, Conrad wondered what he would do with as much free time as his father had, going about it playfully and not with hard-eyed concentration. He called Alice over and discussed it with her. Where might they like to go? This was another kind of question, one concerned not with what was, whether temporary like relationships between people and things or eternal like the laws of nature, but what would be. They ruled out entire countries with a simple no or a shake of their heads. Some places were too boring because they didn't know anything about them and didn't want to learn. Others they called too criminal because of a shocking story that had made more of an impact on them than the actual crime rate. Conrad's mother, Conrad's mind, wandered further into the future. Would he become like his parents and they become like his grandparents? For his grandparents, their children were the midpoint between them and Conrad. For Conrad, the midpoint was the same, but the direction was the opposite, from relative youth to age. <clears throat> He wanted to use this to predict how, how things would develop, but he couldn't. So much could happen to him over the years that he couldn't be sure of almost anything. It was unknowable, at least for now, at least to him. He saw that his neighbors had let their grass grow high again, but not into his yard like last time. To his father, the whole neighborhood was new. Anything out of the ordinary was still ordinary to him. The streets were deserted. Everyone but them was inside and on such a nice day, too. To give his parents a sense of the neighborhood's normal life, Conrad pointed out who lived where and what he knew of them. He hoped they would remember what, he sa what he'd said. On the, on the way home, he thought of what his father could get up to down there. The cops were, on average, more easily bribed, and yet not, that moral flexibility meant they might toy with some dumb tourist for the fun of it, if not also for more profit than he would give them willingly. And then again, maybe his father would be smart and know where he wasn't wanted. 
Conrad had a question and was working out an answer. To know for sure, though, he'd have to wait until it happened, whatever that turned out to be, and then for his parents to return. That was The New Set, written and read by Philip Ballershaw. Again, if you'd like to subscribe to my blog that I read these from, you can find a link to that in the description. And as always, remember to like, share, and subscribe. Thanks, and until next time.